So how can we talk about Jesus in this post-Christian world? It's in the DNA of every Christian to want to tell their friends about Jesus. But at the same time, we sense something has changed. The gospel never changes, but the world we take it to has changed. So how can we tell our friends about Jesus? Well, g'day, my name is Sam Chan. I work part-time as a medical doctor. I'm also with City Bible Forum, where I, where I tell people about Jesus from the Bible. Thank you so much for having me speak to you today in Adelaide. I'm actually an Adelaide boy at heart. I grew up in Adelaide. I went to primary school in Adelaide. I went to Highgate Primary School. I lived in Fullerton. I was a proud Sturt supporter. Go the Double Blues. Well, thank you so much for having me here today. Today, we're going to look at how we can talk about Jesus to our friends and family in this post-Christian world. And I understand many of you have already read my book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Becoming That Guy. And so hopefully what I say today will build on what's in this book. So how has our world changed? Well, in my book, I explain it in at least three ways. Number one, I talk about how I am old enough that I was at Billy Graham's last crusade in 1979. Billy was at his best. He preached the 20-minute Bible talk. He asked people to pray the prayer, come down the front. And then he said, the buses will wait. Think about it. What does that mean? It means that the non-believer who heard Billy Graham that night was a churched non-believer. They came on a church bus. And I think back to my young days when I went to church, 90% of the kids in my Sunday school class were non-believers from non-believing families. Most of the kids in the Friday night youth group were non-believers from non-believing families. And most of the kids in my church soccer team were non-believers from non-believing families, but they were churched non-believers. So Billy was telling them to believe what they had heard a hundred times before. Billy was basically saying, come on, don't you think it's time? You know it's true. It's time to believe. The second way our world has changed is this. Rico Tice, gifted UK evangelist, says there have been three phases in recent Western evangelism. Phase one was the Billy Graham phase. Billy's telling you something you've heard a hundred times before. It's time to believe. Phase two was the defeater belief phase. Our non-believing friend knows the gospel, but they can't believe it because of defeater beliefs. Like, how can I trust the Bible? The problem of evil? What about other religions? So telling our friends about Jesus meant we had to remove those defeater beliefs, and then they would believe the gospel. Tim Keller's reason for God is an example of that sort of evangelism. But now we're in the third phase of evangelism, and it's this. Our non-believing friend lives in this universe. We live in this universe. Our non-believing friend doesn't know what we believe. They don't care what we, we believe. And deep down, they're worried that what we believe is wrong, evil, hateful, and bigoted. So now we have to promote belief and tell our friend, come, come over here. At least check out what we believe. And Tim Keller's recent Making Sense of God is an example of that sort of evangelism. A third way of understanding where we are now uh, Anna, is this. I heard it from Tim Keller. He says, we have never been here before. We've been in pre-Christendom. We've been in Christendom. But now for the first time, we're 
post-Christendom. And what worked in pre-Christendom and Christendom won't work now in post-Christendom. So it means we need to be a blank slate, start again, uh, and, and creatively imagine new ways of reaching out to our friends and family. So how can we do this? Well, we need to add to our toolkit of evangelism. What do I mean by this? Well, let me suggest a variety of tools that we can add to our toolkit. So let's begin with the first one, and it's this. Number one, we have to pivot. We have to shift from event-based evangelism to what we call disciple-making evangelism. DM, disciple makers. Once upon a time, most of evangelism was we we had to try to invite our non-believing friend to an evangelistic event, a Billy Graham crusade, maybe the Christmas carols night, a gingerbread making event, a men's breakfast, and that was evangelism. And I love event-based evangelism. Long may it continue. I'm employed by City Bible Forum to be the professional speaker who speaks at the event that you invite your friend to. But where once upon a time that was 90% of evangelism, these days it's probably only 10% of evangelism. By the time we get our friend to come to an event, they, they have already gone a long way on the journey to belief. These days, 90% of evangelism is going to happen out here in what's called disciple-making evangelism, where it's just an ordinary normal Christian, and untrained, non-professional Christian who's never been to Bible college, having just a normal conversation with their friend and family. And we need to see this as a great opportunity. Because Barna.com, in Australia we have McCrindle Research, in the USA they have Barna doing research. They have found out through surveys that most non-believers would prefer to hear the gospel, not so much at an event, but in an ordinary, organic conversation with their Christian friend. And so this is a great opportunity where now this is the time for the non-professional, untrained, normal every Christian to do most of the evangelism. So that's the first pivot that's happening and that's the first thing we have to add to our toolkit that this is the day for evangelism for the non-professional, the untrained professional, and this is a great opportunity because Paul himself in Corinthians says, we are jars of clay. God uses us, not despite our weakness and ordinariness, but because we're just ordinary, mundane, normal people. The second thing that needs to happen in evangelism is this. We have to shift from evangelizing like preachers to evangelizing like counsellors. What do I mean by this? Well, once upon a time, if you went to Bible college and you took a course on evangelism, chances are a preacher taught you how to evangelize. Because back then, evangelism was either a trained professional giving a 20-minute monologue at a Christian event, or it was walking up to a stranger on a university campus But now 90% of evangelism is going to be from ordinary people to their ordinary friends and family where it's not going to be a 20-minute monologue 
And it's not going to be us talking to a stranger that we never see again. We're talking to the friends and family in our life that we see every day for the next 10, 20, 30 years. So how do we evangelize friends and family and not strangers? Where we do it, we do it not by being preachers where they, where they monologue, but we do it like counselors. How do counselors counsel? They do it through listening and probing with questions. Most evangelism seminars now today are saying that, did you know in the New Testament, Jesus was asked, Jesus was asked 200 questions. Jesus himself asked 300 questions. And Jesus only directly answered one of the questions at him only eight times. Jesus usually just talked in questions and answered in questions. So when they said to Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? Jesus goes, huh, I don't know. By what authority does John the Baptist do his things? Jesus, should we pay taxes or not? I don't know. By what authority? Um, now show me a coin. What head, Whose head do you see on this coin? So we too can learn the art of asking questions. Just the other day, at work, someone asked me, how come there's nothing in the Bible on Jesus' age between the age of 12 and when he's an adult? And I simply asked, why do you ask? And then I found out much more about this person's spiritual life. Uh, the other day at work, a nurse asked me, what books should I read? And instead of launching in and mansplaining, well, these are the 10 books of Western literature we all must have. This is a canon of knowledge. I simply asked, why do you ask? And I found out from there, she said, well, you know, I've only moved into the country. I don't feel very wise. And then I said, would you like to talk to someone about this? And she said, yes. And then I was able to steer her to one of the chaplains at City Bible Forum where they've had some gospel conversations. So a lot of evangelism now is going to be done through the art of questioning and probing. And I think, hey, yeah, I remember when I was at a crossroads in my life and I had to decide whether to stay in full-time medicine or go into full-time Christian ministry. And I lined up a lot of Christian friends, wise Christian friends, and I asked for their advice. And they monologued at me for one hour. And I walked away thinking, ha, that was very unhelpful. I don't know why I asked for their advice. And then I saw another friend who was trained as a counsellor. I said to him, I could stay in full-time medicine. And he simply asked me a question. You could, couldn't you? And with that one question, he unlocked me and I realized I didn't want to stay in full-time medicine. See, what questions do is they lead the listener to discover the answer for themselves. And they're much more likely to take that advice when it comes from their own thinking and from their own discovery. There's a reason why doctors, well, good doctors, ask a lot of questions. It's so that you discover the pain point for yourself and you realize you have a problem and you need a solution. Only a few years ago, I went back to the crossroads in my life where I thought, you know what, I want to go into full-time surgery. I want to train as a doctor, finish a chapter in my life, 
or should I stay in full-time Christian ministry? And one of my neighbours here, who's trained as a career advisor, he simply asked me a question, why do you want to be a surgeon? And with that one question, he unlocked me. And that's what we too can do. We evangelise not so much like preachers anymore, but counsellors. And we do it through the power of the second question. In medicine, we often have a joke, you know, you only have to learn two questions to become a psychiatrist. How are you going? How are you really going? And at work, we ask people, how's the weekend? How are the kids at school? But what we can also do is follow up with the power of the second question. Oh, and how did that go? And how are they going? And if we've earned enough trust and social capital, they will feel safe in opening up and becoming vulnerable to us as well. And it's also the power of the nudge question. Nudge questions give people the permission to talk further. Things like, what are you looking for? Why is that important to you? Tell me about your faith. Do you pray? What faith did your parents raise you with? How do you feel about that? And give people the permission and space to talk. All right, number three. We evangelize by becoming the de facto unofficial chaplain in our friend's life. I have a friend called Craig. He serves as a chaplain in the Australian Army. He was in Afghanistan with his unit. A lot of bad stuff happened. He had to counsel, pray, care for his unit. But the commanding officer in Craig's unit was not a Christian. He had no time for this religious nonsense. So he was very opposed to what Craig was doing. But one day, he asked Craig to come into his office, take a seat, close the door. And then he said to Craig, please pray for me. And my chaplain friends say this is often how it works. People put up the barriers to Christianity they seem to be hostile, but in a time of crisis, they will let us into their life and ask us to speak on behalf of God, bring meaning into chaos, and be their connection with the sacred. So if we've earned enough social capital and trust, that moment will arise. So how can we become the unofficial de facto chaplains in our friend's life? Well, there are many ways we can do that. One way is just show genuine curiosity. Ask them what they did on the weekend. Ask them what they plan to do the next weekend. Ask them where they send their kids to school. Ask them how the holiday was. Take a genuine curiosity in their life. Also, show that you care. I am... you know, it's funny, when we turn up to work in January, there's this amazing ritual where you can't get anything done until it's like ripping off a band-aid. you got to get that question out of the way. What did you do over Christmas? 
And once we've asked that question, once I've answered, ah, now we can get on with life. But we've actually got to see that as a moment to be an unofficial de facto chaplain. It's one where we show genuine curiosity. What did you do for Christmas? And it's also because we care. I have a friend, she works as a lawyer, and she told me that her partners have never once asked her what the names of her children are and what she did for the Christmas holidays. But she says, but they'll always tell you what their kids got up to, what the names of their kids are, and what they did for the Christmas holidays. And she said to me, why? Because they don't care. They only care about themselves. So we can flip that around and we can be the unofficial de facto chaplain in our friends' lives by showing we care, by taking a genuine curiosity in their life. And again, it's that power of the second question. How's the weekend? How's the weekend really? So the other January, this really happened. I asked someone, so what did you do for Christmas? He said, we had family come from all over and, and we had a big catch up. And then I said, and how did that go? And that's when he said, oh, actually, it was really hard. Um, my sister and I, we haven't talked in years and it was difficult. And I at that moment went, oh, wow, please, would it be okay if I pray for you? And I found that 100% of the time, people say, oh, wow, please, could you? That would be wonderful. The other day, I asked someone how their kids were doing at school. And then because I earned enough social capital and trust, she said, oh, you know what? They're not doing well. They're having learning difficulties. They're getting bullied. Now we're having to see a therapist. And I said to her, oh, wow, you are just worried your kids are going to fall behind. And she said, oh, that's exactly it. So what I did at that moment was I showed I understand where she's coming from. There's a powerful saying, home is where you're understood. People go searching for a home away from home until they can find a place that understands them, someone who understands them. And at that moment, my, my friend felt understood. And then I said to her, my wife, my kids, we pray every night for our friends. Please, can we pray for you? And she said, oh, that would be wonderful. Could you please? The other day at work, I asked someone how they're going. They said, oh, I've got immigration difficulties. And I said, oh, my wife and my kids would pray every night. Would be okay? We prayed about your immigration issues. And then the following week, I check in. I say, how's the back pain? How's the immigration thing going? How's the thing with the daughter going? And they, they will update me. And then I say, wow, it's a miracle. And I start using the word miracle. And people seem okay with the word miracle. But what I've done through this one word miracle, I've shown them that there's a supernatural, providential God. There's a loving, powerful God behind the universe who listens to prayer and who answers prayer. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, where people had a variety of worldviews and gods to choose from, God's big two claims to being the one true God was, I'm the God who speaks, so he's the true God. And he's the God who answers prayer. We've concentrated a lot on the God who speaks the word of God. I think we can also explore the power of prayer in non-believers' lives. 
And when prayers are answered, I tell them the story about the 10 lepers. 10 lepers called out for healing, a blessing, a supernatural miracle from Jesus. They all got healed, but only one came back to know Jesus personally. And then I tell my friends, hey, you've experienced a miracle. You've had a prayer answered. The problem is, it, the problem isn't that you want too much from God. The problem might be you just want too little. You need to be that one in ten who comes now to know Jesus personally. And finally, because I, I'm, I've only got time for one more, one more tool to put in our toolkit. Explore. Well, let's not make it just explore. Let's say Tell a better story. Tell a better story. In my book, I talk about how these days, if you go to any university campus in Australia, you know, pre and post COVID, first thing you notice is, wow, there are Asians everywhere. There are more Asians here than in Asia. What is going on? And then you go to a Christian group on campus and it's only Asians. You will be the only white Anglo there. What is going on? What is going on is in the Asian storyline, Jesus is the better story. This is how the better story goes for Asians. We used to believe in evil spirits. We used to be trapped in superstition. used to be trapped in an endless need for success, status, and study. But Jesus has set me free from that. I feel sorry for my friends who still haven't discovered Jesus. I wish they could find the freedom I have discovered. But in the post-Christian Western Anglo storyline, it goes like this. I used to believe in Jesus. I used to have to go to church. I used to have to obey authority figures. I used to have to obey outdated views on sex and morality. But I stopped believing in Jesus and I have been set free from that. I see my friends who still believe in Jesus trapped in their fear and superstition. I wish they too could stop believing in Jesus and discover the freedom I have. So in the Anglo-Western storyline, not believing in Jesus is the better story. So what we need to do is flip it and show them, hey, no, Jesus is the better story. So my favorite go-to story is Jesus turning water into wine. I tell my non-believers, hey, I'm going to tell you a story that not even Christians have a category for. Jesus is at a wedding. They run out of wine, not because they undercated, but because the guests drank too much. In the original Greek, it says the guests were drunk. And Jesus gives them more wine. What is going on? You and I wouldn't give them more wine. Uh, we would tell them, hey, I think you've had enough. Um, if Jesus, if he did this today, he would lose his responsible server of liquor license. You're not, you, you can't do this. So why does Jesus give them more wine, more good wine, and too much more good wine? Because there's stuff left over. And I say, well, there are many reasons, but one reason is this. Jesus is giving us a taste, a glimpse of what life with Jesus will be like both now and the life to come. So if you think by following Jesus, you'll miss out. Now it's the opposite. By not following Jesus, you will miss out. But what do I mean by a better story? We can show our friends that whatever they're looking for, Jesus is a way better happy after than what they can dare dream of. And the only chance at a happy ever after. And the way they're going is only going to lead, lead to self-absorption, unfulfillment, emptiness. So how, 
what's another way of explaining this? Well, there's this amazing evangelist called Julianne Laird. She's in Melbourne. She used to be with AFS, AFES Ministries, now city to city. I once saw her a few years ago. She said, I, I asked her, well, so what's university campus ministry like these days? She says, it's fantastic. People are converting to Christianity um, in big numbers. And I said to her, are they Asians? Because it doesn't count if they're Asians. And she laughed. She said, no, 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 these are Anglos. I said, wow, okay, real conversions. And she laughed again, knowing I was joking. But I, but I asked her, what's going on? And she said, well, they're looking for purpose. Because right now, they turn up to a university campus and they're lost. They know what they're free from, the authority of their parents, teachers, and authority figures, but they don't know what they're free for. They don't have any direction. What am I doing on a university campus? Really, why am I here? But Jesus gives them the purpose, the direction, the fulfillment they're looking for. Also, she says, people are looking for freedom from anxiety. Of course, Christians can also suffer from anxiety the same way Christians suffer, suffer from asthma, diabetes. But there's a different anxiety from not knowing God. Because if there is no God we believe in, it means we have to be in control of everything. And that leads to a different sort of stress and anxiety. And Julianne Lance says people are just looking for freedom from that sort of anxiety. And that's what Jesus can give them. Also, going on a purpose, Jesus offers us true freedom because we know what we're free for. And finally, Julianne Lance says people are actually just asking, what do, I, what do I do about God? I actually know there's a God. But I just need to know, what do I do about this God? And if we can show them, we have, the, we have Jesus as the better story, the only happy ever after they can find as the answer to that better story, then that's a great way of evangelizing, telling our friends and family in this post-Christian world. Anyway, I'm so sorry. I'm out of time, but I feel so privileged, so honored to be invited to speak to you today and I really hope that we can see that this is a great opportunity for us to shine as stars, as lights in, in this new post-Christian world. Mark Sayers is, a, is an Australian author. He, he has an amazing podcast called This Cultural Moment. He's also got books out there. I love his metaphor. He says the tide of secularism has gone so far out that the force of the gospel is going to come rushing back in. The bigger the vacuum, the bigger something comes rushing back in. And right now I think we are so, the tide, the tide has gone so far out. This is our time to shine again, to show that Jesus is the better story. Thank you again for having me. Um, what can I say? Thank you.